0: Hello, family and friends, and welcome to the Word for the World podcast, where we preach truth to heal your soul. Today we're going to look at part three of our Malachi series, and it is The Fallen Shepherds. And if you'll remember, or if you haven't listened to the first two already, um, I'll give just a quick recap. Part One is his chosen love, and it really shows how God has chosen uh, the people of Israel for his people and what he has what covenant He has made with them and Then we go uh, into the second part was the corrupting of the offering, and we went into how the offering is uh, supposed to be done and Really what the priests and the people were doing um, with the offering was not pleasing to God. And they were just kind of bringing whatever kind of animal they felt like. And that was not uh, the whole point. And uh, if you want more details, hey, there's two episodes you can listen to. So today we're going to talk about the the fallen priests or the fallen shepherds. And uh, this is a part in Malachi where God is speaking directly to the priests and saying that uh, he's got plans for them because of some stuff that they've been doing. I know the last one we we took a look at the priests there, but that's because the, uh, the priests in Israel, they were really set up to be... Uh, the guides, the spiritual guides of the people, and were supposed to guard against these uh, these things that uh, these false worship and different uh, behaviors and things, and they were supposed to kind of keep the standard of what God gave Moses, and they really kind of decided that they weren't going to do that. And they rather take the law and move it in such a way that it benefits them. So we're going to take a look at Malachi chapter 2. And we're going to go from verse 1. And we're going to read down to verse 3 to start with. It says, And now, O ye priests, this commandment is for you. If ye will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart, "...to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts. I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed, and spread dung upon your faces, even the dung of your offering." And one shall take you away with it. Now, this is kind of some strong language that uh, Malachi is speaking to the priests. And really, it's Malachi speaking with the authority, the burden of the word of God to these people. And when you look at this, some very vivid imagery comes up, says he will corrupt your seed. So it means he's going to, uh, your offspring are not going to be happy. They're they're not going to enjoy themselves. And he takes and he says, he will spread dung on their faces. And he, he specifically mentions the dung of their offering. And what you find out is when you kind of look up this word Dung in the Bible, we all know that it's excrement, that it's the uh, leftovers. After, yeah, we don't need to go into that. Okay, so when you look this word up, it comes up quite a few times in the law, and one place in specific, in Exodus 29 and verse 14, it says, But the flesh of the bullock and his skin. And his dung shalt thou burn with fire without the camp. It is a sin offering. So what God is saying to them is that this dung that he is spreading on their face is their sin. And their sin offering, he's not going to honor that. Because they have not honored him. And they have not... They have not given glory to his name. So when you look at this, first of all, he's going to tear down their generations. Then he's going to take their sin and smear it on their face. And even when they try to offer a sin offering to God, he will take that sin offering and put it in their face. And then the next thing it says is, and one shall carry you away with it. And what's interesting in Exodus is they take this part of the offering and they burn it outside of the camp to get rid of it because it's not good. You don't want to keep that stuff around. And another place it talks about with, with these things that they take the innards and burn it out there too. So these are all the undesirable parts, and they take it outside of the camp and they burn it. So what God is saying is somebody is going to take you away like the dung, take you out of the camp and burn you down. Well, this is not a very fun commandment that God has given to them. And now these these priests, you have to understand one thing. They have had a lot of chances to do the right thing. God has... Through the generations, up uh, down from from Moses when the law was given, all the way through the the kings, and all the way down to through the exile. And the reason they went in the exile is because of things like this. So, God has been talking to them about these issues for a while. It's not like He just showed up and said, "Oh, by the way, I, I hate you." You know, these are things that are definitely. Well documented in the law and in the prophets. So, when you understand that God is long-suffering, you understand that that long-suffering isn't forever suffering. That he will not suffer this kind of attitude forever. That he comes to a point where he says, Okay, you've had enough chances, I'm done. It's the same thing that happened when uh, he destroyed the earth with the flood. That's the whole point of that story is he was tired of the way man was handling himself and said, I'm done. And you need a bath. So here's a flood. And what's fun is when you start to read the Bible is you, you start to find this group of people that he keeps talking about when he's judging the world and judging the nations. There's always this faithful remnant of people that will hear his word and will do what he says, and he has things to do for them that he won't do for the people that are just going to do their own thing, their own way, and it doesn't matter what God says because they'll convince themselves that they are God and that they speak for him. When God comes and says, no, I'm, I'm, I didn't say that, they will disregard it because it doesn't fit with their narrative. So if we go back into Malachi again, and we're going to look at the, the next part of this section here. From verse 4, it says, And ye shall know that I have sent this commandment unto you, that my covenant might be with Levi saith the Lord of hosts. My covenant was with him of life and peace, and I gave them to him for the fear wherewith he feared me, and was afraid before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity, and did turn many away from iniquity. For the priest's lips... "...should keep knowledge, and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But ye are departed out of the way. Ye have caused many to stumble at the law. Ye have corrupted the covenant of Levi, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore have I also made you contemptible and base before all the people." according as ye have not kept my ways, but have been partial in the law. So God gives more reason why he is not listening to them, and what why he's doing what he's doing. And he's mentioning a few things here that he's talking about the, the covenant he made with Levi. Now, when you go back and you read the scripture... You, you'll find that there isn't a specific thing that he tells Levi. There's no covenant that he talks to Levi about. Um, there is, however, in Exodus and in the, the the other books, it talks about the covenant that he makes with... Um, the tribe of Levi through Aaron and his sons because Moses was a Levite and the Levites were set apart to be uh, priests and to do this work and they had no inheritance in the land. And if you uh, listened to the first 1st uh, first two, you'll, you'll be able to go in and understand more of what that means. But there's this specific story that it happens in Numbers chapter 25, and it's about the uh, the grandson of Aaron, Phinehas. And there's this group of people that the Israelites come in contact with, and they are seduced by these people, and they start, um, well, it says whoredom, so they start doing that. With the women of this nation, and not only that, they start to worship this God of theirs, and they bow down before it. And this, of course, makes God very angry because, like, one of the first things He says to them is, "Thou shalt not have no gods before Me." And they really have a tough time with this one. Um, and I, I don't understand that, you know. I, I from my perspective. Of course, I'm several thousand years later from my perspective. If I had sat there and watched the dead or the Red Sea part and walk across on dry land and watch it come back over Pharaoh, I think I would have believed him. I think, and then he fed me with manna, and and you know he he wrote on the stone, and uh, I think that I probably would have believed him because. Seeing all of those things, I think I would have said, yeah, there's no other way to explain this. This is uh, this is my God, you all can go worship your uh, statues if you want to, but I'm going to stick with the God that can part the Red Sea for me. But that wasn't the case with some of the people, and it, it isn't the case with some of the people today. But here in this story, that God tells Moses to go and take these men that have done this and cut their heads off and hang them up. To take their heads from them and hang them up before me. Because if you don't, I'm going to smite you all with a plague. And so Phineas, this one, this one guy from Israel shows up and he's in the tent with a woman from that land. And Phineas... Is so upset with this that he goes and grabs his spear and he runs the two through with it and kills them. And God's very pleased with this. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, well, this sounds like a really great God. Um, he's murdering people, you know, just for being themselves and, you know, doing things. Well, you have to understand that at this time, God did not have the blood of Christ covering the world, covering the earth. That the children of Israel were supposed to be the representation of his will on earth, and they weren't doing it. And whenever you decide not to do the will of God, he doesn't have any use for you anymore. And you get bumped off, basically. And so you have the, this story where Phineas has done these things and God is pleased with him because what Phineas actually did is he stood up for God. When, every, when all these people were turning away from God and following after this other, uh, this other thing and having these immoral relationships with the, the women of this country, um, God says, I don't like that. And Phineas says, I agree. And he does something about it. And see, this is what, um, what's so interesting is later in, uh, in time, there's another priest or another guy who's hanging around in the temple. His name is, or, or, or in the uh, worship area, not the temple. Cause it wasn't built yet, but his name was Phineas and he was the son of Eli. And, uh, him and his brother were terrible people and doing all sorts of things. And I, I gave a message a while back called, uh, Ichabod and the man with no spine. And it really talks about how people who don't stand up for what is right and don't stand up for God and stand for what he has said should be done. Um, when we don't do that, it allows these wicked, corrupt people in power in the church to do whatever they want to. And really you start to become complicit with with them by being silent. And that was the case with Eli. So, because God came and said, You need to deal with your kids, they're acting a fool. And at that time Eli would have had to stone his children to death because they were I mean they were doing bad stuff and Eli decided he wasn't going to do that so what happened is God killed them and made Eli watch as the Ark of the Covenant was taken away and and he fell over backwards and broke his neck so God doesn't have use for people without spines now if Phineas had been like his namesake, or if Eli had been like the Phineas he probably named his son after, this wouldn't have happened, because Phineas was a man with a spine. He stood up and said, no more. You're not going to do this. Not in my camp. And he went and he he took care of business. And he stood up for God. So when you look at this, we're going to go to Numbers chapter 25, and we're just going to take from verse 11 to 13. It says, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, and the son son of Aaron, the priest, hath turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consumed not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore, say, behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace. And he shall have it, and his seed after him, even the covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God, and made an atonement for the children of Israel. So this is actually the covenant that was made to the Levites, because... Or at least it's a confirmation. But the the language here is very similar to what Malachi is referring to. That he made this covenant of peace and life because there was truth in him. And there was no iniquity found in his lips. But he walked with God with peace and equity. And he turned many away from iniquity. So by his actions, he saved the children of Israel because the plague came and it took 24,000 people before this happened. And he was like, I'm not having no more of it. And God was like, yep, that's enough. And he saved Israel by these actions. I say, that's really harsh. But you know, Sometimes when you run into people that have a spine, people that are willing to stand up, they do things that a lot of people will look at and say, well, that was just mean. That was just harsh. Why did you say it like that? I'm sure there was a nicer way that you could have said that. I mean, seriously, you could have been nice. Aren't you sure? And really that person is standing there and they're just appalled at what's going on around them and nobody else is standing up and saying anything. And, and it comes to a point where they have to stand up and say, look, I don't like this. I'm not standing for this no more. And if you want to stand with it, that's fine. I'm not going to judge you. Well, God will, but I'm not a part of that. And they go on their way. And a lot of times they make a scene as they're leaving because you have to stand for God. It's that simple. You have to have a backbone. Because when God calls you to say things, and to be a child, and to do things, you're going to be in uncomfortable situations. You're going to be in places where you would rather keep your mouth shut, but there's something inside of you that just won't let go. And it keeps nagging at you, to the point where you feel like you're a liar if you keep your mouth shut. Now, how does that work? Well, so you have this situation in Israel where Malachi is having to tell these priests, you know, he's got to... Right now, Malachi's the one with the backbone because he's the one that is having to tell these guys, what you're doing is not right. And how you're acting is going to lead you to destruction and this is not the first time that God has spoken to the priests or the leaders of Israel it's interesting though that they went this far this quickly after they left the uh, after they come back from the exile and but if you go back to Isaiah chapter 56, and verse 9, from there we start to see a story where he is, where God is talking to the leaders of Israel again. And it, and it always comes up with this same sort of uh, imagery that he he uses over and over again. So if we start in verse 9... It says, All ye beasts of the field come to devour, yea, all ye beasts in the forest, his watchmen are blind, they are all ignorant, they are all dumb dogs, that cannot bark, sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough, and they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Come see, say they. I will fetch wine, and I will, f- and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. So, this picture that Isaiah is referring to, and the, that God is trying to bring attention to, is the same sort of spirit that's in Israel at the time of Malachi. And really, the people of Israel would have had this fresh on their mind. And this is most likely something that Malachi was trying to invoke or uh, bring up directly and, and refer to. So you have this where he's calling the leaders of Israel, these beasts of the field, they come and devour and their watchmen are blind and they're all ignorant and they're dumb and they cannot, they can't bark because they've fallen asleep. They're laying down on the job and they love to just sit there and dream about whatever is going on outside of their you know, in their mind, they want to dream about what's going on with them, and they don't want to pay attention to what's actually happening to the people. And they become greedy, and they have never have enough. And they're shepherds that cannot understand. And it says they all look their own way. Now, this is something that is very um, uh, God uses very often. You cannot look your own way. If you are a child of God, you look his way. You walk his way. And when you look at Malachi, he says they have left the way. They do not follow in this anymore. So you have this whole thing where their idea is they left the way. They're not following the way of God. They fill themselves with strong drink. And it says that they have no intention of changing. It says, tomorrow will be just like this, only we'll do it more. So God has something to say about that to them. And what's funny, when you read this Isaiah, and he's talking about this, uh, this picture of dogs and how they never have enough and they can't be filled, it kind of reminds you of another place where Jesus talks. It says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. So here you see the same picture. So what do we have? We have before Malachi the state of Israel was uh, terrible because they were not following the way of God. And then when you come down to Matthew in the time of Jesus, what Jesus is seeing is that they are following their own way and they're not following the way of God. Otherwise, they would have recognized him. And they are ravening wolves. Ravenous means, you know... If you have a ravenous hunger, you, 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 you can't be filled. You just, you're going to eat anything, everything. I remember being a kid and, and I'd go swimming in the pool. <clears throat> and uh, I'd be there all day long if they'd let me. <clears throat> I loved to swim. But there was one side effect to swimming that I never could understand. But, you know, it was always this way. You get home and you were starving like you'd never eaten anything in your life. And I was eating stuff in the refrigerator that I would never touch as a, you know, on a rule. Like, I didn't care for pickles all that much, but I'd grab a pickle and be just scarfing it down because that's what I could get a hold of. So I imagine ravening hunger, being ravenous is even worse than that. So here we have this condition that the priests or the shepherds are constantly falling away from the way of God. And what happens is they start to follow their own path. And when they follow their own path... Let's see what happens when they follow their own path. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 34 and verse 2. It says, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be unto the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe ye with wool, ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. So here, God is bringing up another point. It says they will not feed the flock, they will not help the people, but they fill themselves, they gorge themselves. On these things, and what's funny is you eat the fat, that's part of the offering, and you clothe yourselves with the wool. So that you you take all the excess, and you kill them that are fed, but you will not feed the flock. And this this scripture really points to um, the woes. When Jesus comes to them, uh, all the Pharisees, and, you know, goes, Woe be unto you a whole lot, you hypocrites. (laughs) He he really speaks to that. And And Jesus is rightly telling the leaders of that day exactly what is wrong with them. And the point is, they have no love. So what happens when they don't love the people? Well, if we continue down and we skip to verse 7, it says, Therefore, ye shepherds, hear ye the word of the Lord. As I live, saith the Lord God, surely because my flock became a prey and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherds search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves, and fed not my flock. Therefore, all you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my flock at their hand, and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves any more, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths, that they may not be meat for them. So what happens when the shepherds leave the service of God and they they start to turn and go their own way? What happens when the priests do that? It says that the people, the flock, they start to be devoured. And at first you kind of think, well, maybe it's, you know, it's talking about they become uh, prey for the the beasts of the field and, and everything. But then when you look down here in verse 10, it says, for I will deliver my flock from their mouths. He's talking about the shepherds, that they will not be meat for them. So the shepherds start chewing on the flock. They start devouring the flock. And it's the same idea, the same thing that Jesus is saying when he talks about the false prophets because they're ravening wolves they're feeding on the flock they're trying to destroy people and this is something that God is very very upset with in Israel because not only are they not observing the right way to worship God they are mistreating his people because there is always a faithful remnant that are trying to do what God wants. If that were not the case, then where did Malachi come from? Okay, where did Isaiah come from? Where did Ezekiel come from? Okay, there's always people that are willing to follow God and to do what he says. So there's this remnant of his sheep. But the thing is in this class of people the shepherds or the priests they will destroy the prophets. We'll kill them. Because you're messing up our good day. We're having a fun time. We've made a lot of money here. You know, we're eating good food. And you're going to come in here and you're going to say something about this God of Moses that we all haven't seen. We don't see him. We don't think about him, you know, it's because they don't, if you read Romans chapter one, you start to see the the picture of a downhill, a downslope from being a righteous person who is called by God. And you see this slope of... When they start going their own way, and they forget God, and they don't like to remember him in their knowledge anymore, and you see a whole lot of stuff that happens. And these, you know, this isn't the the world that we're talking about, you know, worldly people that that are sinners and horrible, and we're talking about religious people that do not like to retain the knowledge of God, and they turn his truth into a lie. So read Romans chapter 1. It's really enlightening when you stop and look at what is happening to the soul of the person who is turning their back on God, especially one that has been a shepherd or has been in a position of leadership. So there's this whole thing that God is paying attention to, and he repeats himself many, many times. Over and over again, he talks to these people. And he's telling them, I'm going to curse you if you don't stop it. If you don't come back to me, if you don't do what you're supposed to do, I will not allow you to continue to mistreat my people. They can prosper for a season, but they will not prosper forever. Because God will come and he will spread dung on their face and take their sin and smear it all over them and then throw them out of the camp and burn them. It's really what he's saying. Because remember, when a prophet speaks... For God, when God comes and talks and says things to a prophet, the prophet is—he's uh, out of time. He's not li- uh, living in a linear sense. So when you read the prophets, a lot of times you're reading one thing and you're seeing God talking about the past and then the present and then the future all at the same time. So it people can get confused. That way, because God is not like in a linear time frame. He's, you know, all of it at once. So this is one thing that you, you know, that people talk about when they prophesy. When a prophet comes, he tells the future. Well, it's not because he's he he's seeing the future. It's that he is seeing God, and God is the future and the present and the past all at the same time. So okay, we'll go away from the butterfly effect stuff, but. It's important when you look at these things to understand what's happening. So he's he's talking about judgment. So if you look in, if we keep going down, I think, yeah, if we keep going down to verse 11... This is where God kind of turns the tables and he starts talking to his people. He's no no longer talking at the the bad shepherds. He's talking to his people and he says, For thus saith the Lord God, Behold I, even I. So this is where he is uh, emphasizing that he is going to do this. Like, I'm going to do this myself. Me says I even I will both search my sheep and seek them out so here god is taking this initiative and saying you aren't going to do what you're supposed to do so I'll do it i'm going to stand up and i'm going to do the things that i'm supposed to that you were supposed to do because my my people are going to get what is coming to them whether you like it or not. So this is a wonderful promise that God has given that he will come to his sheep and he will search them out and seek them. And then if we move down into uh, verse 16, it says, I will seek that which was lost. Praise God. If you ever felt lost, he's looking for you. And bring that which was driven away. So if you look at that driven away, have you ever been driven away? Have you ever felt driven away from God? Like you were trying to get to God and trying to do what he wanted to do, but there was some people that just did everything in their power to drive you away. You know, I growing up in churches like I did, they would say we don't kick anybody out, but they would always make your life miserable if they didn't want you there, and they would drive you away. And they had this saying that we, you know, we can't have revival because it's the great falling away, meaning that um, God is now not saving as many people because they're not going to see uh, the truth. Well, that's a lie. Uh, There will come a falling away, but you can't drive people away and call it the falling away. It's the great running off. So when you look at this, God is saying specifically to these people, he says, I will seek that which is lost and bring again that which was driven away. Those that have been persecuted and thrown out I'm going to bring them to me. He says, I will bind up that which was broken and I will straighten that which was or strengthen that which was sick. Now this is an amazing promise from God. You feel lost, you feel like you were driven out and you're broken and you're even sick. You're sick in your heart for all the things that have happened. But God has promised that he's looking for you. And whenever he's looking, he'll find you. He finds what he's looking for. And even though you are running as fast and as hard as you can away from what you think is God, He's right there with you. The only the thing is, that thing you think is God, that's not Him. Because God is the one who wants to bind up your broken heart. And He wants to strengthen you through this sickness. Because we've all been through things. We've all seen horrific things acts done in the name of God and God is as appalled or more so than we are and I was bitter and angry for many years because of some stuff that happened but here's the truth of it God came to me and he said you can't blame me for the stupidity of others whenever you are blaming God for what some devil-possessed quote-unquote Christian person did, that's not God. You have to stop and look around and see who it was that was doing these things. Was it God? You say, well, he allowed it well, maybe you weren't supposed to be there in the first place. Maybe that wasn't the place for you. Maybe God was showing you mercy to get you out of there. And that was the only way that you were going to ever leave. But it wasn't God's will that you be hurt. And it's not his will that you be hurt now. He wants to bring you life and peace and joy and all these things that have felt so foreign for so long. You know, God really is love. And it's a love that we we can't fathom. Yes, there's correction in God. I'm talking about that correction now. Yes, God even has wrath. But guess what? If you're somebody who chooses him and wants to know who he really is, then number one, he will show you who he really is. And the other thing is, when you come to that realization that that's a relationship that you want, that's a relationship you get to have, then there is no more condemnation for you. God's wrath is turned from you immediately. You don't you you don't have that coming to you. You don't have this judgment that you think of coming to you. The judgment is coming to those that hurt people. And we'll look at this. You know, he says that which was that which was sick, you know, he's going to strengthen you. But the next line is not for them. It says, but I will destroy the fat and the strong. So those who stand up and they puff themselves up in positions that they believe that they earn, that they believe that God has placed them in, And maybe God at one point did put them in a position to be a help to people, but they have gone their own way for so many years that now they're just devouring the flock. And you can always see the signs of a sick church. Because what happens in the conversation is they will talk about what the pastor said, and they really don't know what the Bible says. They'll say, well, brother so-and-so said it this way. And didn't you hear that sermon? That was a mighty good sermon, brother so-and-so. Well, guess what? God wants you to read about him in his word. I want you to know him for yourself and not this leader. That's a spiritual sickness, Says so he'll come and strengthen you if you turn away from that. He's going to destroy those men and women who have been in positions of power and they're fat. You know, I'm not talking about physical fat, all right? Because if you met me, you know why I'm not talking about that. But he's talking about those that have made themselves fat by feasting on the people. He's going to destroy them, those who are devouring the people of God and those who are seeing themselves as strong, who have set themselves up in places of authority. He's going to destroy it. And what is funny, the next thing he says is, I will feed them with judgment. Now, earlier he says they can never have enough. They're, they're ravening wolves. They're, they're just unfillable. He says, you can't get enough. Well, I'll feed you. I'll feed you with judgment. And you say, but see, there's God's wrath. Yeah, that is. That's God's wrath. But not for his faithful remnant. Not for his people that are trying to live holy before him. So, well, I can't live holy before him. Yeah, you can. Are you worried about it? Are you trying to be holy? Are you trying to live for him? If you can say yes to any of those questions, guess what? You are, you have, and you will be. You are holy. You have holiness, and you will continue to be righteous and holy in his sight because your heart is is looking to do what he wants. And I'm not talking about what a preacher tells you. Because preachers, a lot of times, they'll find out their own little stories and things. And when you look at the Pharisees, the Pharisees had a lot of rules that God never wrote down anywhere. You understand that when they talk about the law, they're not exactly speaking about the law of Moses. But they're talking about the regulations that they derived from the law of Moses and interpreted from the law of Moses. Because the law is not really specific about a lot of things. It tells you stuff you can't eat. Uh, You need to wash your hands. Uh, Certain things will uh, make you unclean. And, uh, don't have physical relationships with certain things, i.e. animals and, uh, family members and your neighbor's wife or husband. Basically, you know, do the right thing. I mean, this is, this is common, easy knowledge, easy things to do. Now, when it comes to the, the laws of the sacrifice and the offering and things, there that was a little more um, detailed, and God had a specific reason for that, for his worship to be done in a certain way, because it was all pointing to Christ. Because Christ was going to be that ultimate sacrifice, and he wanted everybody to be looking toward that, so that when it happened, they would recognize it. The problem was that in Jesus' day, they were all feeding themselves on the poor and becoming fat and strong. And they weren't paying attention to that thing that God was pointing to. So he's going to take people like this and he's going to feed them with judgment. Judgment. Say you can't have enough. All right, here you go. Here's a take a whole heaping spoonful of what I got coming to you. Now to understand what he's got coming to them, we've got to go a little further in the book. So we're going to go to Revelation chapter twenty, and I know a lot of people when they hear that that name Revelation. They, they have a certain idea, and all of a sudden these things crop up in their mind. But really, Revelation is just telling you about what the rest of the Bible is telling you about. It's telling you about Jesus and the promise. So if we look in Revelation chapter 20 and verse 13, it says, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. Okay, so here's this judgment that God is feeding them with. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, which is the second death. It doesn't say that, but again, but that's what it is. So here, you see a specific group of people. Everybody shows up. And they're judged according to their works. Now, we've been over this and over this. Works are not what you think they are. You know, it isn't, did I give enough money to the poor? Did I sacrifice this much for them? Or did I do this thing the right way? No, that's not good works. And it's not even really what um, I was taught to believe, which was, being inspired by God to do the things that he wants us to do in a a special kind of spiritual way. It's not even that complicated. The good works, really when you read John, you find out that good works are basically believing on Jesus because that's who God sent. Believe on him and you shall never die. You know, that's your reward for good works. Now evil works, not believing Jesus. So we you know, you have this binary thing, you know, ones and zeros. You have one believing Jesus, zero you you don't believe Jesus. So if you're a zero, you're getting cast in the like a fire basically. So this is the judgment that he will fill them with. He's going to feed them this judgment and they are really not going to like it. But it's because they made this choice. God doesn't send people to hell. Hell is a consequence of your choice. The lake of fire is a consequence of your choice. Everyone has the same choice, whether they're going to follow God and do what he is asking of them or not. So, we've talked about the uh, the fruit of the Spirit being love. It really is. And if you have that fruit of the Spirit and you have love, you don't have to worry about any of these terrible things that are talked about in the Bible. Because these are reserved for the people who have no love in them. What you get to look forward to, we look in the next chapter, Revelation twenty one and verse four, this is what God has for you. So that God shall wipe away all the tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, nor crying Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are all passed away. Isn't that amazing? You, you can't even fathom that. And this isn't just, okay, you, you get a day of this. No pain. It says no death. So it, it don't end. You get to sit in the presence of God in bliss and joy and happiness, not feeling any pain. I wonder how many people can say that they they remember a day when they woke up and they didn't hurt somewhere. You can't even imagine what it would be like to not hurt somewhere. You can't even imagine what it would be like to not have any sorrow. To not know what it is to miss somebody that you love. These things will all pass away. Because they'll go with death and hell into the lake of fire. So this is the The picture of Malachi. As it starts to unfold before us, we see that God is expressing himself in such a way that the ones who are participating in the corruption of worship and the ones that are Mistreating the flock, they have a certain amount of time before God steps in and says, That's enough. And I was amazed when I started looking into this different thing that there is such a culture of spiritual abuse in the churches of the world today it's it's amazing i mean because people are looking to ministers to be gods and there are plenty of ministers out there who are willing to let them do that and encourage that idea i'm a minister and I preach, and I study the Word, and I do what I can to try to help people. But here's the thing. I'm still just me. There's no divine uh, takeover here. You can't look at me and quote me and expect that that's going to get you anywhere. And you know, even quoting the Bible isn't going to help you. You have to have it in your heart. And when you have it in your heart, then you can live it. You don't have to quote it. It just comes out. So God is speaking in Malachi to these priests who have gone into this time of rebellion And we know that there is a space of several hundred years between where the book of Malachi was written and when Jesus appears on the scene. And a lot of Bibles will have that story between Malachi and Matthew, so the years of silence. And uh, God is really saying, I'm leaving you. And these are the reasons why. It's interesting when you see that he says he will corrupt your, their seed. And their seed is the, the people that uh, crucified Jesus. And then later they are taken out of the city and burned. And you uh, when you look at what happened when Rome came to put the rebellion down in Jerusalem, that was a that was a fight and a half. I mean, I got to give it to the Jews; they really stood their ground for a long time. And if it hadn't been for the Calvary then they, they probably would have won, but they couldn't stand against the horses. But you see how God told them what was coming. So like I said, when you read in the prophet, to understand what the prophet is saying, and what God is saying through the prophet, you need to understand the whole word from beginning to end. Because within that small, little book, where there's just little, few verses, there is God. And he is spanning all of time. And a prophet, it, sometimes they don't make sense, hardly. But it's because when God comes and manifests himself, to someone who sits and goes from the past to the future, and God is all of it at once, they have a rough time interpreting what's happening. Say, well, God can make them under. I'm sure they can. I'm sure Malachi knew exactly what God was saying. But when you go to write it down, words on a page don't exactly convey what's going on in your mind even speaking it I know there have been times and I'm not drawing a parallel here I'm not a prophet don't go there but I, when God has shown me things in scripture when all of a sudden it all becomes so very clear and it's like a, oh I see I understand and then it's like grasping at snowflakes falling out of the air as you grab them and they start to melt. And you're just trying to hang on to that, that epiphany of everything. And that's because you were just in the presence of God and you come my way with whatever it was he wanted you to have. But for a moment you saw it all for a second, just a, a glimmer, maybe not all of it, but over a certain situation or a certain passage, it's like it all just connects and and I would never be able to explain to you what it's like to see that and understand what that is because it, it almost, I forget it almost as quick as it happens, but I come away with this one point that I can connect this to that and over the course of my life he's done that several times and i've been able to connect a few points together for my own walk but this is how god is this is how god speaks to his people and you don't have to be a prophet for him to speak to you you just have to be willing to listen willing to hear and willing to do what he says and that's a scary thing for a lot of people. They don't want to give up their autonomy and do whatever God tells them to do. It's, it's fearful. But I'm going to tell you this. You're not autonomous anyway. You're going to end up doing something for God because he uses whatever happens. Now, do you want to be doing something for God on the right side or on the wrong side? And if you really are afraid of God, I invite you to read the Gospels. Look at Jesus, who he was. And you will see the image of God, you will see the character of God. And it's a very beautiful thing. God loves you, God cares even though you're going through some of the hardest times of your life maybe, and you're facing a lot of pain, God is right there to help you. You just maybe haven't talked to him about it yet. And if you've been hurt by a church, I'm sorry. If you've been driven away from God by... Religious people, I'm words cannot express how absolutely irritated that makes me. But don't let what they did have any bearing on who you think God is, because God Himself said He was going to destroy people like that. People who take His name. And his law. And corrupt it. Because it says in Malachi, it says, They have departed out of the way. They have caused many to stumble at the law. If you've stumbled because of their instruction and their law, I invite you to read the word of God and pray and ask him to help you to see who he really is. And when you do that, All of their laws will fade away. God bless you all, and have a safe day.